This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. It's good to see everybody today. We have several that are traveling. Uh, sure do miss them here. And uh, hope that they have a safe journey and can be back with us soon. But it's good to see all of you and, and to have you with us. Um, a little bit about the chart. There's an order of scripture over here on the right column on the front. Those are the ones that we'll be following. And in, inside you'll see a place where you can make some notes on the back of this sheet. And then there are two pages of scriptures that are typed out for you where you won't have to turn. Turn if you'd like. But uh, these are typed out and we'll start on the inside first and then come to the back side and uh, study this subject. We haven't talked in a while on the plan of salvation and every now and then I believe we need to study that not only for those who may need to hear it uh, and be saved but for those of us who teach that we make sure that we're able to impart unto them the knowledge that they need in order to find salvation. So there should be something good for every one of us in these studies. I want to introduce this, the study today from Acts 16, verse 25. If you'll turn inside, that will be typed out on the inside, as will the next several scriptures till we get to the back side. <clears throat> Acts 16, at verse 25. To give you the background, Paul and Silas have been beaten. They have been uh, thrown into prison at Philippi, turned over to a jailer there, and he has the charge to keep them safely, so he has put them in the inner prison. He's put their feet in stocks. Their backs have been cut with whips. They have been beaten severely by the city magistrates. They are bleeding. They are hurting. And now here they are locked in an inner dungeon of a prison in a strange city that they've come to bring the gospel to to help those people find salvation. And what they've gotten for it is a beating and imprisonment now. And as Luke describes this in the book of Acts, it's a midnight hour. We would think that Paul and Silas might be bitter at God for letting this happen. That uh, They might be saying something to him or murmuring or complaining about their situation. They are not. In verse 25, the Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want you to look at verse 30 there again. The question here by the jailer, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I don't know of a more important question that anybody could ask than this one because it's a personal question. Notice he did not ask, What must God do to save me? What must the Holy Spirit do to save me? What must Jesus do to save me? He asked, what must I do to be saved? Implying that somebody needed to save him, but there was something for him to do 
in order to be saved. And so it's a, it's a very important and personal question for each person. And uh, now we might raise this question as we think about what must I do to be saved. Is there anything you and I can do? Anything we can do towards salvation? And in the sense of purchasing or deserving it, no. We can't do a thing to deserve salvation. We can't purchase it. Uh, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation then is by grace. Grace is God's favor. God didn't have to extend that favor. And so salvation is a gift. Romans 3 and 24, the Bible says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we're justified freely by God's grace. The word freely means without a cause on our part. In other words, God didn't have to save us. But He has done that freely by His grace of His own will, of His own volition. So salvation's free. We can't deserve that. If God doesn't extend favor, we're lost. But just because something's free, it doesn't mean it doesn't have conditions. Uh, you hear a lot of times of contests that people want you to enter. They're talking about a, maybe a free car given away or so much cash. But you know, you got to register. You got to enter. There's something for you to do. There's a condition to meet in order to be part of that contest, see, in order to have an opportunity to have that gift. And so that's the way God's salvation is. Just because it's free, it doesn't mean there's nothing for us to do. But you know, we have a lot of people today that get afraid of this little bitty word. It's a little two-letter word, this word do. And, and many have the idea that if I do anything in regard to my salvation, then I would be earning or purchasing or deserving that seed. That God would be obligated because I did something. And of course that's contrary to the Bible. Uh, this word do is used a lot in the Bible. Jesus used the word. Let's notice some scripture here first of all. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 7 verse 21, read that one with me. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus said, If you're going to enter into the kingdom, you've got to do the will of my Father. See, he wasn't afraid of that little word, do. In fact, he taught that we should do something. Luke 6 and 46, Christ said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord? and do not the things that I say. A Lord is our ruler. A Lord is a ruler. If Jesus is Lord, if we're going to call Him our Lord, then He said, why would you call me Lord and not do what I say? You see, the Lord taught that we need to do His will. Not just call Him Lord, but obey Him. Do what He says. The apostles used that word do a lot. James chapter 1, verse 21-22. Notice what James says. <clears throat> James says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls, but be ye doers of the word, 
and not hearers only. So James says we're to do the Word, not just hear it. And again, we find in Revelation 22 and 14, this, this writing from John. John said, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Blessed are they that do His commandments. So this word's used a lot in the Bible by Jesus, by the apostles, by all the writers implying that there's something for you and I to do. Don't be afraid of that little word, do. Don't be afraid to tell people there's something you need to do to be saved. Because we got a lot of people today that think there is nothing you can do. That if you did anything at all, you'd be earning salvation. That's just not true. In fact, I'd be afraid to tell people there's nothing for you to do. I would really be afraid to tell them that because the Lord used that word and so did the apostles. Now, at this point, I want to raise a question for you to consider. That's why the, the title is, is what it is. The question is, what must I do to be saved? But there's a second question. What is your answer? What's your answer to this question? If somebody came to you and asked, what must I do to be saved? I want to be saved. What would you tell them? Could you give them an answer? And more importantly, would your answer be correct? Would it be biblical? Would you be able to find that answer in the Bible? Now remember this, your answer to this question is going to have to be 100% correct. Because you've got a soul here, you've got somebody that's wanting to be saved. They're wanting everlasting life and they've come to you with that question. And so if, you're, if your answer's wrong, they're ruined. See, their soul's ruined for eternity. That's why we can't afford to give the wrong answer to this question. We've got to know the answer. And I would raise three questions for you here. Could you, if you gave an answer, let's say your answer would be to believe on Jesus Christ. Could you go to the Bible, first of all, and give a command for that answer? Could you put a scripture up and say, right here is where that's commanded? Could you show them that by command? Now remember, they've come to you and they're looking for an instant answer. Can we give them that answer? Number two, could you give them an example where somebody in the Bible did believe on the Lord for salvation? Could you give them a scripture showing an example of believing on the Lord when somebody told them to do it? Number three, <clears throat> could you give them a warning from God that if they did not do this, they would be lost? Could you give those three things? A command, an example, a warning from God. Not asking you to do that right now. <clears throat> Although I put some blanks down there in the bottom left if you want to write that in. But nonetheless, just think about it for a while. What kind of answer would you give? And remember, it's got to be 100% right. Or this soul that you're talking with and answering is going to be lost. 
while we ponder about what we might do with that and if we know the scripture well enough to give that answer. Let's look at some of the various answers that religious people today give. There's a lot of different answers to this question. You may not have thought about there being very many of them, but there really are. For example, you ask ask a universalist, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Now, what's a universalist? Well, he's one that believes in universal salvation. He believes everybody's going to be saved and nobody's going to be lost. And so if you come to that person and you ask them, Sir, what must I do to be saved? He's going to tell you it doesn't make any difference. And why would he tell you it makes no difference? Because he believes everybody's going to be saved anyway. In other words, the answer is not important to him. Because he already believes everybody will be saved and nobody will be lost. Now, he has no command for believing that. When he tells you to do nothing, there's no need to do anything because everybody will be saved. He's got no command of that, no example of that, no warning from God for that. In fact, his answer violates the Scripture. Look at Luke 13 because Jesus got asked about that one time. Luke 13 here around verse 24, I believe it is. Verse 23, 24. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Now he just flat asked Jesus, Lord, are there few that be saved? And Jesus said unto him, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. So many people, the Lord said, would seek to enter in. They won't be able. Jesus said to strive. And that word strive means to agonize. If we were defining it, it would mean strain every nerve in our vernacular. Give it everything you've got. That's what that word strive means. To, uh, To agonize over something. See, Christ said strive, strain every nerve, give everything you've got to enter into the straight gate because many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Does that sound like universal salvation? And then in a parallel passage to that, notice Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So Christ said just a few people are going to find the way that leads to everlasting life. Just a few. In other words, only a few are going to be saved. Now you see, the universalist says everybody will. Christ said only a few will find it. And if I listen to that universalist and follow him, I'm going to be lost because he's given me the wrong answer. His answer will ruin my soul if I obey him. All right, ask the Calvinist, Sir, what must I do to be saved? What is a Calvinist, incidentally? Well, someone that follows the teaching of John Calvin. And John Calvin was a preacher that lived back in uh, the 1500s. 
And Calvin taught, as we know, about five main doctrines. And uh, one of those was election or predestination. He taught that God chose who would be saved before the foundation of the world, before He ever created us, before He ever created anything. In other words, if He wanted Ben saved, He picked Ben way back there before the creation ever began. And if He wanted Roy lost, then He chose Roy to be one that would go to hell back there before the foundation of the world. That's what they believe. And that, that decision's been made on every one of us. So when you think about yourself personally, the Calvinist will tell you God's already decided where you're going. You don't have a choice in the matter. He already knows, He's already selected you, and you're predestined for heaven or hell. And that's what he believes. And so if you ask him, what must I do to be saved? He's going to tell you, don't do anything. You're either elect or you're non-elect. And God's already made that decision. Now he has no command for that, for believing that or telling you that. He could give no scripture of an example where anybody was ever told this. He has no warning from God if you fail to believe what He tells you and obey it. In fact, His answer violates a lot of Scripture. Let's look at a few. Number one in 1 Timothy 2 in verse 3 and 4. Paul said, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Does that sound like he picked some for a ruin? Some for the lake of fire? Again, take another passage here from Peter in 2 Peter 3.9. Peter said, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, listen, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not willing that anyone perish. See, He's not chosen anybody for the lake of fire. God's never chosen anyone for hell. He's not willing that any should perish. It's not His will, in other words, that anyone perish. What is His will? That all come to repentance. That's the will of God in this matter, see. And if I listen to the Calvinist, he's going to ruin me if I, if I just take his answer, because he's basically saying, don't do anything. God's already decided this matter, see. And that's just wrong. Now there's a lot of different answers given, see. Number three here, ask a moralist, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Now what is a moralist? Well, he's someone that... Uh, believes you just live a good life and God will overlook all your faults. I remember uh, stopping one time, Roy, years ago over on Ball Creek Road. And a uh, fellow you and I both know, so I won't call his name. <clears throat> but uh, I invited him to church. His wife attended there with us. And he said, well, Pat, let me tell you about that. He said, uh, you know, he said, I try to be a good neighbor. I try to live a good life. I try to be a good citizen. I try to be a good husband. 
I try to be a good father to my kids. I try to work hard and be a good person in the community. He said, I just kind of follow the Ten Commandments. In other words, what he said to me was, Pat, I don't need Jesus. I don't need His blood. I don't need the gospel. I don't need to go to church. I don't have to come down there and meet with you folks. I can just go on about my life and be a good neighbor and be a good husband and uh, be a good citizen. And God will save me. That's really how he looked at it. And that's what the moralist believes. He just believes live a good moral life and God will overlook your sins. In other words, you don't need the blood of Christ. You don't need, uh, you don't need anything like that. Jesus didn't need to come to earth. That's basically what he's saying, see. Because if we don't need Christ and we don't need God and we can just lift ourselves up kind of by the bootstraps and save ourselves by reforming our life and just live a good life and God will overlook everything we've done wrong, then we don't need the church, we don't need the Bible, we don't need, we don't need anything. We don't need Christ. And so he wasn't interested in going to church because he led a good life. That's just how he looked at it. And there's a lot of people feel that way. That's their religion. They are not going to go to church. They're not going to read the Bible. They're not going to listen to preaching. They're not going to do anything of a religious nature like that because they think they can just uh, live a decent life and reform their life up. Now, they have no command, no example, no warning from God for, th for believing that or, or giving that answer. But if I ask a moralist, he'd just say, live a good life and God's going to overlook your sin. Now, how's God going to overlook our sin? Sin is a problem for God. Why? Because God's decreed that the wages of sin are death and God's got to punish sin. And he said the penalty for sinning is death. And God just can't change his mind like that. It wouldn't be just and say, well, you know, I told everybody that, but uh, I think I'll let it go. He can't do that. Let me ask you this. How many times have you got to break into somebody's home before you're a thief? And if you break into a home like that and take the belongings of another person, should the, should, the, uh, should the community just say, well, that's all right. You stole there, but that's okay. We'll just let that go. And that's kind of what we're doing now in this country, isn't it? We got people walking into stores and picking up stuff out of the shelves. I watched a video, I believe last night or night before on television a jewelry store or something being robbed, and the guy just walked in and broke the glass counters, cabinets. Two, two fellows had bags, and they just started taking things and putting all the jewelry in their bag. Folks just stood there and watched them. They robbed the store and then walked out. And we've got folks in this country that say, well, we ought to just overlook that and let it go. Maybe these guys will reform later, see. But you see, they've stolen things that aren't theirs. They've committed crimes 
that we have attached penalties to in this country. And those are crimes that need to be punished. They need to pay the debt for what they've done. That's justice, isn't it? And see, God's that way. We forget about God being that way, but He's got laws too. And God can't let them be broken with no punishment. And He's decreed that if you sin once, then you're guilty and you're no longer righteous in His sight. And the sin that you commit is punishable by death. Just one sin. If I lie one time, I'm a liar. What am, what's God supposed to do with my lie? Just say, well, I'm going to let Pat reform his life. and I'll just overlook the lie. Well, then why did Jesus come to this earth and die on a cross and shed his blood if it's all that simple? If I don't need Jesus or his blood, if I don't need the church, if I don't need the Bible, why do we have all these things? Why did Christ establish the church? Why did He shed His blood? Why were the scriptures given to us? This is all unnecessary, you see, if we can just reform our life. Let's look at what the Bible says about sin. James 2 and verse 10. James said, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. That's why I said it just takes one sin to be a sinner. Just takes one theft to be a thief, doesn't it? One lie to be a liar. And so this is how God views sin. You sin once, he says, you might as well be guilty of breaking everything. Because we're no longer righteous. In fact, in Romans 3, if you'll notice verse 10, verse 23, the Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. How many here today could, could lift a hand and say, I've never sinned against God? Even without the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm righteous. Not a one of us. Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And remember, the wages of sin is death. You see, God can't just let us reform our lives like the fellow tried to tell me. Be a good father or husband or citizen or employee or whatever it is, neighbor. And uh, God will just overlook the sin that we've committed. That, that sin's got to be punished. And the penalty is death. And that's why Jesus came to this earth and took a human body and lived sinlessly where he could take our sin, in other words, where it could be laid over on him, and then he could go to the cross and shed his blood, which is giving up his life, to pay that penalty of death for each one of us. That's what it took. God would not have sacrificed his only son if there were some other way to do it. If we could just reform our life and say, well, I'm going to be from good from now on, and have God just overlooked my sins, God can't do that. So the moralist is just wrong, and if we follow that kind of an answer, we'll be lost. Let's look at one more. Ask a denominationalist. 
Sir, what must I do to be saved? What is a denominationalist? I'm just, I'm talking about it, uh, a lot of people in the mainline denominational churches. The major churches you see about us everywhere. Ask them what to do to be saved. They will tell you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and invite Him into your heart. Pray the sinner's prayer. Now what's the sinner's prayer? Well, it's something not found in the Bible. You know, I see it all the time in little pamphlets and tracts and everything. Pray this prayer. And if you will pray this sincerely, you will be saved. But I never read that in the Bible. But I see that everywhere. We've been asking people for years to give a verse to show us in the Bible where the sinner's prayer is recorded. And, and nobody can do that because it's not in the Bible. But here's a, here's a prayer down here. See the little box in the bottom center? I put a little, I had to, had to shrink this down for sake of room to get it on there. But uh, here's an example of praying the sinner's prayer. Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner, and come into my heart and save me right now. I now receive Jesus as my Savior. And uh, most people in denominational churches will tell you that if you will pray this prayer sincerely, that the Lord will save you right there. I see ads on television where guys come on the TV and they, they uh, make a statement very similar to this. And they'll actually quote a prayer and they'll say, if you prayed this prayer, call this number. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. And what they're going to do is tell you that you've been saved when you prayed that prayer. But they don't have a command for that anywhere in the Bible. They don't have an example where any sinner ever did this. I'm talking about one that wasn't a child of God. They don't have any warning from God in Scripture for failing to do this. They just don't. Now they have some scripture, but it's usually out of context. One of them is 1 John 1 and 9. Would you read that with me? 1 John 1 and 9. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now who wrote this? Well, John did. It's in 1 John 1 and 9. Now let me ask you something. Was John a Christian already? You say, well, yeah, he was. Okay, he was. John said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, John's included himself in this. He's already a Christian. John is telling the Christian what to do if the Christian sins. He's not telling you how to become a Christian. Now this passage is used by people to say, well, this is all you got to do to be saved. Just if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. John's talking about Christians. So if we as Christians sin, according to John, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Uh, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking about Christians, see. This wasn't written to somebody wanting to be a Christian. Another passage that's often used is Romans 10 and verse 13. I used to use this one myself when I was uh, 
not a Christian. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I used to have folks come to me, uh, they'd say, Pat, are you saved? I'd say, yeah, I sure am. Well, what did you do? I'd say, well, I called on the name of the Lord. See, to me that meant praying. That meant asking God to forgive me. I said, I just call on the name of the Lord. And they will say, well, where did you find that? And I would quote Acts 2.21. Would you look at Acts 2.21 down there? This is a statement by Peter. Acts 2.21. Peter said, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There it is. All right. And I said, well, that's what I did. I called on the name of the Lord and I'm saved. They would have me drop down to verse 38 here in Acts 2. This is again Peter. And when Peter asked uh, men and brethren, what shall we do? <clears throat> then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they'd look at me and say, Pat, uh, you may have repented, but you need to be baptized. I'd say, no, I don't. They'd say, well, verse 38 of Acts 2 says that you do. I'd say yes, but verse 21 of Acts 2 says I just need to call on the name of the Lord. So I would set up camp on verse 21 and just say I've called on the name of the Lord. They would set up camp on verse 38 and say no, you need to be baptized. And it was a stalemate every time. They wouldn't budge, I wouldn't budge. Finally, I learned to harmonize these two statements. They're made in the same sermon. In verse 21, Peter says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when they asked what to do, he told them to repent and be baptized. In other words, he told them how to call on the name of the Lord. And if you'll look at Acts 22 and 16, here it is. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus. Ananias came to him and said, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And finally I learned why Peter said what he did. He said if we'll call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. And then he, he told them you need to repent and be baptized. He was telling them how to call on the name of the Lord. That's what Paul was told here. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And the act of baptism is how we call upon the name of the Lord. Because the Lord's promised us, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And in the act of baptism, we're calling upon the Lord to fulfill what He said. He promised that if we'd believe and be baptized, He would save us. And we call on the name of the Lord or, or invoke His authority by what He said. And I finally learned I'm going to have to be baptized. Because that's how I call on the name of the Lord. See. Now look at these four different things. I've given you the universalist. We've talked about the Calvinist. We've talked about the moralist. 
We've talked about the mainline denominationalist. Have you thought about this question I asked earlier? What is your answer? Do you have a command, example, and warning? Well, let's put one up here. Let's go to the Bible right quick. This won't take very long. <clears throat> Look over on the right column on the front over there. And then turn to the back of your chart. <clears throat> what is the plan of salvation? What does the Bible say? If somebody comes to me, what should I tell them they need to do to be saved? The first thing is, they have got to hear the Word of God. Nobody's saved until they hear about Jesus. We need to be told the story of the cross. The story of His resurrection. We need to hear about Jesus Christ, about the shedding of His blood. We've got to hear the gospel. Now, do I have a command for that? I do. In Acts 2, if you'll read there with me, verse 22, it's the day of Pentecost, and Peter stands up to preach. He said, you men of Israel, hear these words. Hear these words. What words? Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Drop down there to verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter preached them a whole message about Jesus. And he commanded them, hear these words. Now did they hear it? Do we have an example? Look at the next verse. Verse 37 of Acts 2. The Bible says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? There's the hearing, see. When they heard this. So we've shown now a command, an example. Is there a warning from God for failing to hear Jesus? Look at Acts 3, verse 22-23. Peter said, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Is that a warning? It is, that if we don't hear Christ, we're going to be destroyed, see. Now can we agree that the first thing we've got to do to be saved is to hear God's Word? We've proven it by command, by an example, and with a warning from God. What's the next thing? Well, having heard... The Lord expects us to believe. To believe the message of the gospel. In other words, we've got to believe in Christ. Do we have a command to that effect? We do. Acts 16 now, verse 29. Let's go back to the jailer. The scripture I opened up with. Verse 29, he called for a light, sprang in, came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and thou shalt be saved in thy house. There's the command to believe right there. He commanded them to believe. Now do we have an example of their believing? Well, let's read on verse 32. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Now he's a believer, see. He's a believer. So we see a command and we see an example where they believed. Is there a warning from God for failing to believe? John 8, 24. Christ said to the Jews, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. That's a pretty good warning. If we don't believe in Christ, we die in sin. See? Now, can we agree on this step right here? We've proven it by a command, an example, and a warning from God, had not we? What else in the plan? Well, it's wonderful to hear the gospel and believe in Jesus, but we need to turn from sin. We need to repent. Repentance is godly sorrow for what we've done. Godly sorrow that produces a change of life, a change of direction. To repent is to turn, turn another direction. If I'm sinning and I repent, I turn. See, I change my mind and I turn from it and start going the right direction. That's repentance. Have a sorrow for what we've done that causes us to turn from it. Is there a command to that effect? Is there a command to repent? Acts 17, verse 30, 31. Paul said the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he had appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So there's that command to repent. Do we have an example where people did repent? I want to go back to the jailer and his family there in Acts 16, verse 32 and 33. I mentioned when Paul and Silas were turned over to him that they were beaten severely. Many stripes were laid on them. And uh, look at verse 32 and 33. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. He and all his, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. He took them and washed their stripes. You see, the jailer never washed their stripes when they were turned over to him for prisoners. But now he's heard the word of the Lord and believed it, and now he's repented, and he takes Paul and Silas and he cleans their wounds up. And that demonstrates his repentance. There's an example of a person repenting, see, doing just the opposite of what he had done. Because when he first got them, he just threw them in jail and put their feet in stocks. Now he takes them the same hour of the night they preach to him and he washes their stripes. Is there a failing or a warning against not repenting? Look at Luke 13, verse 3 and 5. Jesus said, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Verse 5, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, 
you shall all likewise perish. There's the warning, isn't it? Repent or perish. Now, can we agree on repentance? We've proven that by command, example, and a warning. Okay? So when we've heard the word and believed it and repented, the next thing that the Lord wants is that we make a confession of Jesus Christ, that we confess that He's the Christ, the Son of God. <clears throat> do we have a command to confess Christ? We do. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the Lord expects us then to confess him with the mouth, to confess what we believe in the heart. It's commanded there. Do we have an example of somebody confessing Christ? Look in Acts 8. Verse 35 there to 37. This is a man from Ethiopia, and he's with Philip the Evangelist. Verse 35, the Bible says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. <clears throat> and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's his confession. And there's the example, see. Here's an example where a, a man confessed his faith in Christ. He was, evidently he was commanded, as we all are, and here's where he confessed it. Is there a warning for failing to confess Christ? Look in Matthew 10. 32-33. Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. There's the warning. If we don't confess, he will deny us. See. So we can surely agree on this. We need to confess it's proven by command, example, and warning. So here's four steps thus far. There's one more in the plan. It's one a lot of people don't believe today, but we're going to look at it from the Bible. We need to be baptized. Do we have a commandment for that? We do. Acts 10 and 48 the Bible says of Peter here, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then pray, pray him, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So here's a command to be baptized. Do we have an example where people were baptized? Where they were commanded and then were baptized? Look at Acts 2 again, verse 37 to 41. This is Peter speaking. The Bible says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. There's the command again. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
For the promise is unto you and to your children and unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. See, there's the example. 3,000 people that day were commanded. All of them were commanded that wanted to be saved. But 3,000 people that day gladly received his word and were baptized. That's a pretty good example. Do we have a warning from God for failing to be baptized? Yes. John 3, 5. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So unless we're baptized, unless we're born of water and the Spirit, we can't enter the kingdom, Jesus said. There's the warning. I see, we've proven that with a command, an example, and a warning from God. Every one of these things, <clears throat> we have done that way. And if somebody asks us how to be saved, here's the simple plan. We're to tell them, you just need to hear the Word and believe in Christ. Repent or turn from your sins, confess your faith in Him, and obey the Lord in baptism. You see, what must I do to be saved? That's exactly what this jailer did. They went the same hour of the night, he washed their stripes, he was baptized. He and all his straightway. And we've answered this right from the Scripture, see. But we've got to be right in our answer or we're going to ruin somebody. And I looked at all these other answers with you, the Universalist, the Calvinist, the Moralist, the Denominationalist. There is no answer. There is no Scripture for these answers. But for these over here in the Bible, there's a command, example, and warning for every one of them. There's the, the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? And what is your answer? Somebody's going to ask you one day if they already haven't. And they're going to want Scripture. It's not enough to hear a study about it. We've got to be able to give them the Scripture. Right there. Right on the spot. And that takes study and that takes preparation. We've got to be ready to give an answer. And so hopefully this will help us a little bit and remind us where to take them and what to show them. If there should be any here today that need to be saved, well, you're invited to come and obey this simple plan. And if you'll do that from the heart and then begin to serve the Lord, don't do it unless you're ready to be a Christian. But the Lord will forgive you of everything you've done in the past. And uh, He will start you on the way to everlasting life. And if you'll just walk with Him and serve Him, He will save you. We want to invite anyone that needs Christ to come. You might be a Christian and just need prayer this morning or you may need to be somebody who really needs to obey this plan. To hear, believe, repent, confess the Lord and to be baptized. If we can help anyone today, then we're going to stand and sing the song and if you need Christ today, why come to the front and just have a seat if you'd like to obey. Would you come as we sing? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. 
If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.